Today's read, A Moment of Silence, Midnight Three by Sister Soja, Chapter 14, Night Nurse. The cop that was guarding the hospital room door wasn't standing on point, I noticed. Was he to the left or right of the glass where I couldn't see the back of his head? Or had he stepped away for some reason as soon as the lawyer left my room? Did he follow my lawyer to question her because she had just become the only person I spoke to since they first cuffed me and began asking me questions a week ago? Maybe, but I doubted that the cops guarding the prisoners' rooms in the hospital knew anything about our case details. They weren't the faces of any of the cops I had encountered during the interrogation so far. Fuck it. The hospital guard would definitely show back up to cuff my hands and feet or to chain me to the hospital bed. Instinctively, I did a series of sit-ups, but I lost the count in my thoughts. The hospital door opened. A slim female nurse entered. Her face was stern and stained with a scowl like she had been angry for years. She looked at me exercising, looked at my bed sheets, and then left. A new cop walked in moments later. Hands was all he said before he cuffed me. Now my hands and feet were cuffed, but I was still not chained to the bed. He stood post outside my door. I figured the nurse blew me up and went and got the cop to cuff me. Too bad, I thought. If I would have had a half hour more without cuffs, I would have undressed and washed the clothes I had worn for too many days. It might be for the better was my second thought on the matter. By now, I realized I would never know when they would show up to move me. It would be crazy having to jump back into my clothes while they were still wet. At home, my clothes were cleaned and sometimes ironed and laid out for me or hung in my closet. I remembered, but then canceled the thought, reminding myself not to crave home and not to desire or expect anything. The same mean-faced nurse returned. Nurse, I said. I'm not a nurse, she said in an even and dry tone. I looked at her. She was young, but dry, like a raisin, I observed. She looked like she had not had a glass of water in weeks. What are you then? I asked in an even tone also. Whatever I am, I'm not supposed to be talking to you, she said. Cool, we'll have to talk, I said, not used to being shut down by any woman. She entered the little bathroom like she was making an inspection. Then she came right back out. I wondered why she seemed to be looking at or for something in particular, but never asked me about it, said what it was, or changed anything she saw. I'll give you something. You give me something, I offered her. I hope you're not trying to get fresh with me. You ain't the only jailbird on my shift, she said. Her words cut through me, reminding me of my new identity and low status. 
and sent me back some. Here, I handed her the slim packet of olive oil that was left on my hospital food tray. She looked at it like it was nothing. Use this on your skin. After you wash your hands, put some in your palms and spread it around. You work with your hands. You should try and take care of them, I told her, sincerely. And what do you want? She asked suspiciously. A nail clip, I told her. You ain't gonna stab nobody, are you? Nah, I smiled. She melted some. I'm gonna take care of my hands too, I told her. She looked down at my hands. Yeah, you need him clipped. I'll be back. She slid the olive oil packet in her front scrub pocket. I knew she could probably go in some supply cabinet or even to the hospital cafeteria and get a hundred more packets, just like the one I gave her. I also knew that the one I handed her would remain special to her. These angry hood chicks each look different with varying degrees of attractiveness. However, on the inside, they were mostly all the same. They talked rough. Some of them even looked rough, but if the right or even the wrong man showed them an ounce of attention or affection, he could get whatever he wanted real fast. If you make friends, my second wife would often say to me, you won't have to work so hard alone. Making friends helps you to get what you need. I remembered Chiasa's words. She is an expert at making friends. I smiled. Where I'm from, women pay close attention to their cleanliness, their scent, and their hands. A woman whose hands are unkept, undecorated, or rough, ashy, and neglected like the nurse's hands were routinely considered by everyone to be unhappy and unloved. Feeling like I was being watched once again, swiftly I looked up and saw a dude dressed in street clothes looking into my room. The second he saw me see him, he vanished. A simple mistake? A lost patient? A D-tech in his street clothes? Since arriving at the hospital, the thought never crossed my mind that anyone might try to hit me up or kill me while I was in here. And now my mind shifted. What was up with the guard who was supposed to be on post outside my door? Why did he keep appearing and disappearing? Needless to say, I didn't consider him my protection. At the same time, if I needed to move him into the category of an open enemy and prepare to deal with a random attack from him or anybody else, my entire circumstance would become an entanglement that would keep me trapped in their legal system for the rest of my life. The nurse returned what felt like an hour later. I can do it for you, she offered, easing the nail clip from her pocket. Seems like it'd be hard for you to do them with the cuffs on, 
but I seen people do some crazy stuff with their hands while they were locked up like yours. I can manage, I told her. Just put your hands up here. She pulled over the tray. Her hands were now oiled, and even her wrists and face and neck had some moisture and shine. Hold up. She even switched her hair, I observed. She began clipping. I don't do this for everybody, she said in her stern manner. Thank you, was my only reply. After that, we both stayed quiet until the last fingernail was completed. Good job, I told her. I appreciate it, I added. You got good manners, she said as she cleaned up the clippings. How come you're not wearing your hospital gown? I see they got you in here till the morning. Ain't you gonna get some sleep? Right, was all I said. She laid the gown over me. If you put it on, I'll wash and dry your clothes for you and bring them back, she offered. Bring them back when, I asked. Soon as they dry. What if you don't? Then what? You want me to walk around in a hospital outfit, I asked her. She laughed. It was the first smile I'd seen on a face that looked like it was in a permanent frown. I won't do you like that. I thought you could tell I'm a good person. I can tell, I said. Well then, she asked, but was already reaching for my t-shirt, helping me out of it and yanking it over my head. She looked at my upper body, got stuck in a gaze for a second, then realized my t-shirt couldn't come all the way off and was now stuck, wrapped around my wrists where I was cuffed. She laughed and reversed what she had done too eagerly. I'll be right back, she said. She returned with the missing guard. He entered the room behind her, looking disturbed about being disturbed. Hands, he said, then uncuffed first my hands and next my feet. He didn't leave. He stood staring and stuck like he planned to stay. Turn around, the not-a-nurse ordered him. He turned halfway and said to me, Don't try anything stupid. Undress, she said to me in a friendlier tone. I did. She had ordered the guard to turn away, but she didn't turn or look away. She watched and waited, her eyes widening when she saw my jeans drop down. She grabbed the gown and rushed it over my head as if she was protecting me from her eyes, seeing my bare body that she'd already seen, and as though she somehow believed she was protecting me from the guard as well. Done, she said to the guard. Hands, he said to me. My hands and feet were cuffed again. He left, she stayed. favor she said oddly just like we just did before with the olive oil and the nail clip I just looked at her there's another nurse's assistant that works the overnight with me her name is Rhonda she a rotten egg I hate her guts me and her are the only two nurses assistants who work this wing late night the real nurses never do anything but sit on their butts at the nurse's station talking bad about people, even talking bad about the patients. Well, anyway, 
you don't talk to Rhonda. Just egg her. That's the favor. Her stare was now stern. Well, I run your clothes down to our little staff laundry room. She exhaled like she was content with her offer and her request. What happened to the guard that was standing outside my room? I flipped the topic from her nonsense, girl gossip, even though I could feel she was serious about it. He back at the nurse's station, playing with the nurses like he do every night. Her explanation was helpful and lowered my suspicions some. He not supposed to do that, but he do, she added. It's one of them nurses he likes for real, but both of them is married to somebody else. So when they be at work, they act like they married to each other, she reported. How come you ain't got no drawers? That's nasty, she said. Drawers? Boxes or briefs or something to cover that thing up? She said it straight out, like it wasn't an insult or an embarrassment for me, and as though she could still see something that she wasn't supposed to see, but already saw. That's something else I could get for you, she said proudly. No, thank you. I don't wear used boxers, I told her calmly. Beggars can't be choosers, she said. From jailbird to beggar, I thought to myself. She smiled and then laughed. (laughs) No, psych. She said like we had a joke between us. I wouldn't bring you no used drawers, that's filthy. Then she turned serious. I'm clean, she said with emphasis. Even though I gotta change dirty bed sheets and empty and clean bedpans and all that icky work, I wash my hands all the time. The hospital soap makes them ashy. That's why they was like that before. But I gotta keep them clean. I don't want to catch no germs in here and bring some disease home to my family, she over-explained. But her mentioning her family made her more human to me. You're good now. Do the same thing tomorrow, I said, acknowledging her freshly oiled hands. You're going to be gone by tomorrow night when I get here. I already know that. She said it as though she was sad about my leaving like she caught feelings in five minutes of meeting me. Then her face changed in an instant like she had a bright idea. Why you ask me about that cop? You plan on escaping or something? Nah, I said immediately. I didn't need her sounding no alarms. Good, cause I'll be right back with your clothes and you would look real stupid hopping around the streets of Brooklyn in a hospital gown, no drawers and handcuffs. She laughed. I didn't. Watch out for Rhonda. She gonna come around here cause she nosy. And cause she's supposed to check on the patients like I do. She light-skinned it. She looked clean, but she the dirtiest one. Most of the patients get fooled by her. Think she nice and I'm mean. Ha! Really, it's the other way around. She be charging the patients for every little thing they ask her for but can't get for themselves or ain't supposed to have in the first place. She not supposed to do that. Don't you go asking her for no drawers. I'll bring you some new ones free of charge. Ronza don't do nothing for free, but she do anything for money. She even put her mouth where it ain't supposed to be for $20. And for $50, I need my clothes back. Try and hurry. I interrupted her to stop her from gossiping to me like I'm one of her girlfriends. And to get her ass moving, she left.
pretty nurse's assistant who looked clean but was the dirtiest one showed up. I heard her key turn in the keyhole of my locked but unguarded hospital room. I saw that she wasn't the ashy one. She was holding a metal bowl which by the way she held it was filled up with some liquid. I came to change your bandages and wash your body, she said, like it wasn't nothing. I wasn't supposed to speak to her, which I thought was nonsense, but I'd made an arrangement and an agreement, so I didn't. She yanked the sheet that was over me as I was lying down on the hospital bed. My hospital gown had shifted while I was asleep, and my... And she was staring at it. I turned to my side to break her stare. We can start on the backside if you prefer, she said. Her hands were soft, not rough. She used both of them to gently push me into the face-down position. I cooperated because I liked the touch of feminine fingers. Her fingertips grazed me as she cut the bandages from behind and let them fall to my side. The warm washcloth landed on the back of my neck first. In small, circular motions, she washed my neck and eased down to my back, stroking with a bit more friction. The warm cloth and warm water felt good, and more than that, I could hear her breathing while she worked, on rubbing me clean. I could hear the cloth of her uniform. That aroused me naturally. When she paused to soak the cloth and wring it out and then suds it again, she said, You have a beautiful body, even from the back. I didn't say nothing. She returned with the warm cloth and was now washing my behind. With her bare hand, she cleaned the harder-to-reach area and accidentally touched she withdrew her hand and walked away. I liked the sound of the water. I could hear her emptying it into the small sink and refilling the metal bowl. She was back now, gently scrubbing my thighs and then my calves. When she cleaned the cloth again, she returned and scrubbed the soles of my feet. A sensation shot through my body and I got more solid than steel. Turn, she said softly. I wouldn't couldn't get my she touched my sides to roll me over like she was used to rolling patients and shifting their positions in the hospital bed all night I turned myself slowly knowing she couldn't turn me without my cooperation as she saw my I saw that she was topless she put the cloth down we were both staring at each other. She dipped her hands in the water and gently gripped my... She got so aroused, instead of cleaning me with the washcloth, she was using her hand, caressing my... With ease, with the moisture of the water mixed with a few suds. She grabbed my massaging softly and carefully like a woman preparing meatballs, shaping them, touching them, holding them warmly. She must have known 
I wasn't going to go in her. I reminded myself she's the dirtiest one. She leaned over, her dangling like dough. She put her two lips on the... and began to... asked me and why did you switch off the lights if you was going to be sitting on the floor and why is this up against the door I almost tripped on it when I came in and why you got your pillow underneath the sheets like you was in your bed when you wasn't you playing some kind of freaky game I thought I could trust you she said it like me and her has some type of real relationship going on I stood up from where I had been seated in the dark with my back pressed against the wall. I realized I must have fallen asleep in that position. I got down there to be ready to leap to attack if anyone showed up in my room besides one of the night nurses. I had seen the same strange black male face peering into my locked hospital room twice while she was gone. Damn, I thought to myself. That was a crazy dream. I had it, enjoyed while I was in it, but didn't want to be responsible for it. That was Jordan Mann, not me. I smiled. Day seven in captivity, and I'm already having wet dreams like before I became a married man who has a beautiful and erotic wife and sexed and made love to her whenever I was moved to do so. A young man who loved and married and lived with one and then two beautiful badass women. My hospital gown had a wet spot when I looked down. I played it off like it wasn't there. You never slept on the floor? Was all I said to her interrogation. Only when I had to. Not when I had a bed right there just for me. Like you do, she replied. Thank you for my clothes, I told her. She handed them to me. They were warm and cleaned, and below the short folded pile was a pair of new boxers, still wrapped in the plastic. I'm sorry, she said, handing them to me. For what? I asked her. For taking so long, she said. Is it Ronza come? She asked, her voice more timid than before. Nah, I said. Good. You're my patient. I'll take care of you. She picked up the tray and left. The second nurse's assistant showed up right before the break of dawn, this time not in a dream, but in real life. She wasn't topless. She was light-skinned it. She wasn't pretty. She didn't look clean to me. She looked ran through, slick and stupid at the same time. She was measuring me up while I was reading her. I got a note for you, she said. I could see the folded paper in her right palm. From who, I asked. I don't know, she said. Guy in the hallway been creeping around. I could have called security on him, but that's not what I do. 
He been trying all night to get me for my key. I told him no, because that's just fucking up my business. He going to get me fired. The note? $20. She put a price on it and put her hand on her hip after announcing it. You can keep it. I wasn't expecting no mail in here. And you don't look like a mailman either, I told her. I got slapped over this bullshit, she said. Slapped and paid, I said, letting her know I knew her hustle. She was trying to get paid twice off of the same errand. The door opened. The slim, previously ashy nurse entered. Ronza, why you in here? Why you asking, she screeched on the ashy nurse. Do you own him? Is this your room and your bed? Do you own the whole goddamn hospital? She spit with venom. Venom. I took care of everything in here. There's more to do in the other rooms, the ashy nurse said in a scolding tone, opening the door and holding it open as though she had rank over Rhonda. You first, Rhonda told her. I'll be back, the slim nurse said to me. Rhonda exited the room, walking behind the slim ashy nurse. As she did, she flicked the note to the floor. Seconds later, I picked it up. I unfolded it. It said one word, red verse. I don't know if he was trying to strike some fear in my heart. If he was, he was wasting his time. I don't know him. I don't fear him. I don't fear those cops he's in business with. Fear only Allah. I washed and prayed the Fajr prayer in cuffs. It took some maneuvering and double the amount of time that it normally takes, but what a man wants to do, he finds a way to get it done and handles whatever discomforts may come along with it. Sunrise, not sleeping, thinking sincerely. I like my lawyer. I had a feeling about her. I thank Allah for her. I respect her mind, thought she was one of the smartest women I ever met. Together, last night, without either of us revealing openly what we were actually saying and doing, we plotted a course of action for my defense. She had allowed me to read each of the newspaper articles written about me without my input, interview, or cooperation. She taught me about the process the meaning of each step, making it clear that each step was critical and crucial and life-altering. She was passionate about representing me. I knew it might include a boost for her career since my case seemed so important to the New York Senator, the District Attorney's Office, and especially the press, the police, and other authorities. I didn't mind if legally defending me made her richer or more famous or whatever. Her presence was worth whatever earnings or notoriety she could squeeze out of it. She was willing to place herself in the center of all of this confusion, which she called a forcacle, whatever that meant. She would fight against false accusations, police crimes, and filth for her own reasons. She was willing to write the judge to stand up as my representative in the court at the arraignment. She wasn't worried about pissing off the cops, detectives, prosecution, politicians, and her co-workers in the legal system where she worked every day. 
She sent me to the hospital with the full intent to document the police brutalities. She was honest enough to tell me that she could not guarantee it would all work out her way or how much time it would take, but that however it worked out, it would be the absolute best option I would ever get. She confided in me that her father is a judge. She has two brothers, one doctor, one lawyer, but she's closest to her dead sister who had been murdered at age six. She was angry that her father's position and prestige could not protect her sister and angry that she remained behind, alive. She said her dead twin saved her life when she tried to join her by killing herself. Her sister promised her that if she stayed alive, she would stay with her, even though it would be their secret and no one else would understand. I didn't try to figure it out. Her purpose for me was legal defense. Besides, I am a Muslim man who believes that believers will always be tested in this life. And while being tested, no matter how difficult life gets, it is senseless to try and abandon faith. Allah is everywhere at the same time. Allah is just. At the same time, Allah is above comprehension. If I didn't know better, I would think that my life was in my lawyer's hands, but I know better. Whatever Allah wills, whatever Allah allows will be done, nothing more or less. And whether Ein Eliana Aronson Esquire was assigned by her job or if she chose herself to represent me, I believe it was because that is what was supposed to happen. She might think it was all her idea. I believe otherwise. Ein had a calm and clever and scholarly way of speaking and questioning, signaling and profiling me without saying directly that that was what she was doing. Even her suggestions, strategies, and conclusions were not spoken aloud, plainly and straight out. If I had not already met the most intelligent and cleverest woman in the world, I might not have ever caught on to the double and triple meanings and behaviors and suggestions of my attorney. However, meeting my second wife's aunt prepared me in some necessary, peculiar, and urgent way for this difficult battle I face. Her name is Aunt Tasha.